Hi, and welcome to The Way Things Go There, a podcast where I, Kiff Cohen, take quotes from books that I absolutely love and apply them to real life. On today's episode, we're going to use a few quotes from a book because I just couldn't pick one. I also asked some listeners, also known as my friends, to (laughs) submit some audio for me that pertains to this book. So the book is called The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Also like to suggest that there is a workbook that goes along with it that I also have that has been really great for when you're trying to figure out how you really feel about your body without the influence of media. Um, She also talks about how the media's influence has determined how you feel about your body. So let's see what we have here. The first one that we're going to use is being different is difficult in a world that tells us there is a normal. Next one. When we don't see ourselves reflected in the world around us, we make judgments about that absence. Next one. Default bodies establish a social hierarchy and distribute power and resources and is a global phenomenon. Next one. We acknowledge how the things we were teased about or shamed for became part of how we saw ourselves later in life. Those early incidents became the yarn tethering our adult selves to our childhood histories of shame and isolation. We no longer must be bound by crappy stories. Humans made them up. You are human. Make a better story. And lastly, Messages we received about the validity or invalidity of our own bodies did not occur occur in a vacuum. We were simultaneously receiving and spreading those messages. Dismantling oppression and our role in it demands that we explore where we have been complicit in the system of body terrorism while employing the same compassion we needed to explore our complicity in our internalized body shape. So you may have caught that term body terrorism in one of those excerpts from the book. And it may seem excessive, um, but as someone who was terrorized a good chunk of her life um, because of the body that I exist in, I think it's, it's a correct term. Growing up, I was a larger kid and in the, in the beginning of my life, yeah, I had issues like siblings or family members who made comments um, that stayed with me. But it, I don't think I really was aware of them until we moved in fourth grade. I think it was in between third and fourth grade. And then I didn't have this rapport with the group of kids that I went to school with or the kids in the neighborhood. And so all they saw was this fat girl, right? I, it didn't matter what my interests were, if I was funny, if I was smart, or, you know, if I was fun to be around, all they saw was fat kid. She has no value here. And I grew up in the eighties and in the eighties, in the media, who was fat? Ursula. Ursula's fat. (laughs) She's the villain. Um, 
you didn't see people existing in larger bodies that were the good guy, that were the friend, that were uh, worthy of main character status, right? They were the ones that were everyone made fun of, and it was fun. That's what that was the purpose of being the fat kid is to be the funny one um, and to get picked on, right? So yeah, body terrorism uh, sounds sounds pretty accurate to me. The book really goes through how we are conditioned this way for a myriad of reasons. One of those reasons is so people in power can keep power. One of those reasons is to ensure that minorities stay a minority. There's so many layers in this. A lot of it goes back to the media that you experienced when you were a child. In the workbook that accompanies the book, the first question is, what is your first media memory? The goal is not to really be accurate of like, what was my first experience with a movie, music, TV? Like uh, The exercise is to be, what is one that you really remember? The earliest one that you really remember. And for me, that was The Little Mermaid. And in The Little Mermaid, she is this very skinny, very white, pale mermaid girl with this beautiful, long, flowing hair, um, who's, who's essentially perfect and has this beautiful voice. And she just wants to be a part of this world um, that she seems that, that seems to be so cool, right? And her value, she feels like she is nothing without this world and without this man, right? Once she discovers that this man, Eric, is part of this world. And so my very first memorable memory is, oh, I need to have some sort of insane talent because Ariel wasn't really wanted by Eric until she could sing, right? Beautiful girl, beautiful voice, and need to be wanted by men and need to belong to the dominant culture. Yeah? That was my first memorable memory. So I asked some people to submit some audio clips about their first media memory. And I'm going to play a little uh, armchair expert <laughs> on what I believe some of these, these first memories, media memories, could mean to a young child. My first memory of media way back was watching two or three baseball games with my dad at a time. Um, mostly Brewer games, the voice of Bob Euchre and, and the Packers, Wayne Larravee, uh, definitely ring hood and ring true to nostalgia. All right, we got sports, sports in the 80s and the 90s. For those of you who weren't around then, yeah, pretty similar. A little more acceptable drug use there, but uh, very macho, right? So I'm getting that this young kid is watching baseball and football with his dad, and he is given the idea that I have to be tough. I have to be able to run fast and hit the balls, be good at sports. And then I'm valued so much that I can be on TV. My earliest media memory 
is The Wizard of Oz. Oh, I love this one, Wizard of Oz. There's so much going on there, right? You have this helpless girl who finds these, obviously they're not, you know, human, but they're obviously male figures who are going to deliver her to another man who is going to solve all of her problems, right? We have the, what's her name? Glinda, the good witch. She's there, right? What does she serve? Oh, is she kind of a message of like, you need to listen to your elders type thing? Interesting. I don't know. What do you think? Either way, Dorothy is not a girl who's existing in a larger body. Um, she's very much ideal girl next door. I believe I've seen things that said that, you know, they did things to make sure she looked younger. Um, they, you want to be able to keep that youthful appearance. Um, that's what's acceptable to be valid and, and worthy. The very first memory I have of ever like owning a piece of media was um, Home Alone. And I, I remember um, Family Sucks out of that. And I thought that was hilarious. And I repeated Family Sucks and my parents had to yell at me for that. Oh, yes. Home Alone. For those of you who don't know, Home Alone is on repeat in my home all the time. All the time. My one-year-old loves it. Probably not the best parenting move, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I think as uh, a young boy watching Home Alone, you get the idea that, you know, you are expected to be a little shithead, <laughs> to use the phrase. I guess. Um, and it's okay. Uh -huh. You're just being a boy. Boys will be boys. I do think that they did an interesting job of choosing Kevin, the main character's older brother. Buzz is not, you know, he exists in a, in a larger body. I would say he is borderline what is acceptable for Hollywood of, of larger body. And he was seen as like the cool kid. I like it. I do. But you, you, there's not any main character energy for any larger bodied women for sure in that movie. I think the only larger bodied woman in that movie um, was Aunt Leslie, and she's kind of like being pushed around by by Uncle Frank. Um, but you got John Candy, larger body guy. He's a funny guy though, right? If you exist in that larger body, you must be funny for people to accept you. Yeah. Interesting. It was my first time in a movie theater with my mom and dad and my brothers, and we went to the movie called Birdcage by Robin Williams, or with Robin Williams. And I don't remember it because of the content of the movie, but I remember it because of my parents' reaction after we left the movie theater, like it was inappropriate or something. I think that Birdcage has a great opportunity to set a great example for someone at a young age. Yeah, a lot of the the subject matter probably isn't appropriate, but I think at, you know, 9, 10, 11, you, you probably are clueless to what that subject matter really is. But seeing people who maybe don't look like you existing in different bodies and shapes really could add value to a young person's idea of the world. And I think this may be a good example of how our parents' 
um, reaction to things and how our parents give us gifts of judgment can play out. Perhaps your parents' disappointment was because, you know, they're like, oh, that subject matter is not great, but it could also be that, you know, they didn't approve of how those people were living their life and how they were exhibiting their bodies to the world. But as a young kid, I think since you didn't understand the subject matter, you may have perceived it as, you know, oh, my parents don't approve of how these people are existing in their bodies. Obviously, this is all subconsciously going on. But knowing the person who submitted this clip, she is a super accepting and open person to all people. So maybe in this situation, her parents' reaction really kind of gave her the opposite feel of like, oh, my parents don't like this, so maybe it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. So there used to be a music show. I think it's uh, on every Tuesdays or Friday night. It's called Pepsi Top 10, where they show weekly top 10, 10 of the popular songs. I would be so excited to know which one of my favorite songs makes it to the top list. Every week I wait for that program to air. When I think about it, I feel so stupid. But at the same time, I am just realizing how simple was our lives. I love this answer. So I'm not familiar with the exact show that this listener is referring to, but it reminds me of like TRL. Uh, what is that? Total Request Live for those of you um, who were born in the 2000s, not the 1900s. Um, so it's a listing of all the top songs. Maybe they're requested, maybe it's by the charts, whatever. Um, but the type of people who are in the media as musicians or in, in groups, especially in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, I would even say, do not exist in larger bodies. They all kind of look the same. There's kind of, you know, a requirement for you to be a pop star or a rock star. Your body needs to look a certain way. So I can see as remembering, you know, oh my gosh, I love this song. I, I'm so excited for this song to be in the top 10. Um, that really stays inside of you. And you're like, oh, this artist looks like this. And they are highly val valued. They're number one. And that can stay in ingrained in you. And I, it, that this reminds me of when I was younger, I was obsessed with Janet Jackson and I wanted to look just like her. I had like my curly ponytail pulled through my back of my baseball cap and I would wear all the black and I just really wanted to look like her. And people would remind me, you know, Janet Jackson's not fat. You can't look like Janet Jackson. And you know, that sucks. That, that sucks. Like why Okay, next. My earliest media memory is watching Arsenio Hall on the floor in my living room at my mom's feet at between four or five years old. And I think my mom had just given up trying to get me to go to sleep and would allow me to watch Arsenio Hall. Oh, yeah. So late night TV in the 80s or early 90s. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're going to learn some new words. Uh, you're going to learn uh, some new jokes, maybe, that are inappropriate to tell on the playground. And I think that you are going to see some depictions of what it means to be uh, attractive that maybe you wouldn't see during the day. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Considering who that this clip came from, I'm not sure that any of that really rubbed off on her body image because I, I don't feel like she wants to present herself in like an extra sexy, revealing type way. So interesting. I find it very interesting. So those are all of the audio clips that were submitted. Thank you so much to everyone who took the time to do that. I know that there's so many things that you could be doing, and I really do appreciate you taking the two minutes to do it. I think a lot of people can connect. Maybe some people had the same media memory um, from their early days. And I think a lot of us were in a similar like late 80s, early 90s um, range, which I think is helpful to kind of understand what message was being put out there. And I don't think it was even until maybe the early 2000s that we as consumers were given the choice of you can choose to indulge in this media of this person existing in this larger body, right? Or you can indulge in this entertainment of this person um, that is existing in, in a non-abled body, right? Yeah. And we're, we, I mean, we don't, this is not necessarily a race episode, but obviously that comes into play a lot too. With the exception of Arsenio Hall, I don't think there were any people of color really in those early members. Oh, there's sports, but that's a whole nother thing too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in the workbook, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor asks you to kind of do like a media audit. So she asks you to write down anytime you hear a mention of um, body image when you're consuming media for, I believe it's a week. And then when you're done, you sit down and you kind of look and you think like, is this a specific attack on my body? Is this a specific attack on like some other type of body that makes me uncomfortable? And why am I consuming that media that is making me feel this way or could make others feel negative about how they look? And so some of the the excerpts that I read in the beginning of the episode talk about how we need to recognize where we're being complicit and recognize our role because we're all playing this role in this whole system of body terrorism. This would not continue if we didn't allow it. And I think with the emergence of some very popular, larger bodied and non you know non-able-bodied people and the rise of different BIPOC celebrities that are not being judged ways that white people don't get judged. Uh, that's a whole nother episode too. Goodness gracious, this is going to be really fun to come back to when we do the discussion part. So whoever decides that they want to do the discussion episode with me on this, I think there'll be some wine involved. <laughs> Tacos on me, whoever wants to take take this one. Um, yeah, so where are we complicit, right? I know that I have been complicit in so many ways. When I lost a lot of weight, I was hyper aware of calories and how much, how many calories were in everything. So if I saw someone eating something, I'd be like, oh, did you know 
but that has blah, 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 calories in it. Like my goal was also their goal. Like my goal of eating X amount of calories was this other person's goal. Or saying things like, ugh, I feel disgusting and fat. And labeling fat as disgusting. Being fat doesn't equal ugly. The media has has told us that if you are fat, you are impulsive, you don't know how to control yourself, you make poor decisions, you're unhealthy, and that's not what you should look like. If you made the right decisions and you had control over yourself, you would not look like that. And that is just a lie. It's a lie. We could all do the same things and start out exactly the same way, and we would all end up with different sized bodies. Deep breath. So how can we change this, right? I think it starts with us, obviously, and how we speak to our children, how we speak to our family, how we speak to our friends, and how we shut it down. How we go there when someone says, Ugh, like, I need to have this body in order to feel good. No, 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 you don't. No, you don't. Why do you feel like you need to have that body to feel good? What experiences have you had with the type of body that you are currently in, right? Me, right now, I am on a journey of learning to love to run. I've loved Peloton for almost two years now, and it really is, you know, I used to go to the club and dance and drink and have a good time, and I'm just, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't, it's just not fun to me. And as silly as it sounds, Peloton is fun. Working out is fun. Working out with my friends in a virtual capacity is super fun. Um, and I don't feel like I have to push my body to look a certain way. Has my body changed since I've started it? Of course. Um, and I do, I feel better. I physically feel better because I get winded less. I'm stronger. Um, my mood is just better, you know? And I would be completely lying if I said, I don't care how I look. You know, I feel great. I still care about how I look. And part of why I even picked up, picked up this book, The Body is Not an Apology, is because I need to understand why I feel like I need to apologize for my body looking the way it does because I have had three children and that's going to change my body and even if I hadn't had three children life changes your body different things change your body your body is not going to stay exactly the same throughout your life and of course there's going to be the exceptions for some people they do their body stays the same for the majority of their life but you know, that's them. Good for you. But also good for me and good for them and good for Susie and Bobby and whoever else, right? Yeah. And so I've also, I found it difficult to call out my friends when they're hating on their bodies. I do it. I do it, I want to say 40% of the time. And sometimes I just let people feel their feelings because I think sometimes I can come on very strong. And I'm really trying to figure out the sweet spot of being like, hey, I care about you. That's why I'm telling you to stop thinking that you are unworthy or unattractive existing in the body that you exist in. 
because I can tell you now that I think every single one of my friends is beautiful and I don't think any of my friends look the same. So if that means that a person with this size body and this person with that height and this person with that color hair or that color skin or, you know, whatever it may be are beautiful and they're all different. Like, why can't I think I'm also beautiful, even though, you know, I don't look like what the media is telling me I should look like. So this is where we start. We start by examining our experience with media. We start by changing what we consume um, if it's harming us. We start by going there when our friends and our family members don't love themselves based on what they think they're supposed to look like, especially when we're talking to children or when children are around. My daughter comes up to me, I don't know, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month, and she will put her head on my belly and grab it and she'll go, Mommy, why is your belly still big and there's no baby in there? And I just say, you know, all bodies are different. And this is just what my body's like. And she's like, oh, okay. And moves on. And I want her to know that, you know, whatever her body decides to do as she grows up, all bodies are different. And that's okay. Because my daughter does see me exercise every day. My daughter does see me eat healthy. She also sees me eat sweets. You know, she sees me existing as a human. And she doesn't see me putting myself down. My son is also the same way, but he's directed it more at himself. I just want to make sure that even though he is a boy, that he's still receiving the same message that I'm giving my daughter because I I believe that that body image issue is also there for boys and for men. It's It's just not talked about as much. Is it much more for women? Probably most likely, most definitely. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if you're going to exist in a larger body, it's usually you're, you're funny, right? You're funny, or you make a lot of money, or whatever those media representations are given for those, those guys with larger bodies. So yeah, this was a long one. I am, again, grateful for those who submitted audio clips. And I'm really excited to revisit this. And the next episode will be the first of the discussion uh, episodes. So if you don't know what that is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take an episode that has already been published and sit down and have a discussion with a listener about what they think about the quote from the book and what I have to say about it. If you are interested in having one of those discussions and being on one of the episodes, please send me an email, uh, tiff, T-I-F, at tiffcohen, T-I-F-C-O-H-E-N.com. And we'll see what we can do. Again, the book is called The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Grab the workbook too. Thanks again and have hope.